This summer we're studying the book of Jeremiah. If you have a copy of God's Word, look with me to our passage found in the book of Jeremiah chapter 15. Book of Jeremiah chapter 15. As we begin reading, I'm going to begin reading verse 15. We're going to look at most of the chapter. But I'm going to begin reading with verse 15. While you're turning there, let me again explain. This is a very difficult book uh, for various reasons. One reason is not in chronological order. And so as you're reading it, it goes back and forth, and you have to understand what's taking place when certain passages are written. Second, second thing is it's not in topical order. And so, again, as you're reading it, you have to figure out what is being said. The third reason it's difficult is a difficult message. Jeremiah is a prophet of God. He's giving a message that God is going to bring judgment on the nation. Judgment is coming. And that's a very difficult message to hear, that God is going to bring judgment on an entire country. And so in chapter 15, the book of Jeremiah, we see Jeremiah praying to God. And we see a glimpse of Jeremiah's thought process as he's proclaiming God's word. Jeremiah chapter 15, beginning with verse 15. You who know, O Lord, remember me, take notice of me, and take vengeance for me on my persecutors. Do not, in view of your patience, take me away. Know that for your sake I endure reproach. Your words were found, and I ate them, and your words became for me a joy and the delight in my heart, for I have been called by your name, O Lord God of hosts. I did not sit in the circle of merrymakers, nor did I exult. Because of your hand upon me, I sat alone, and you filled me with indignation. Why has my pain been perpetual and my wounds incurable, but refusing to be healed? Will you indeed be to me like a deceptive stream with water that is unreliable? And therefore, thus says the Lord, if you return, then I will restore you. Before me, you will stand, and if you extract the precious from the worthless, you will become my spokesman. They, for your part, may turn to you, but as for you, you must not turn to them. Then I will make you this people, a fortified wall of bronze, and though they fight against you, they will not prevail over you. For I am with you to save you and deliver you, declares the Lord. So I will deliver you from the hands of the wicked, and I will redeem you from the grasp of the violent. Pray with me. Our Father, as we study this passage, help us to understand the emotion of it, the thoughts behind it, because, Father, in many ways, this is how we feel many times. Show us, Father, from the life of Jeremiah and from his words what we are to do. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Have you ever been disappointed with God? Now, some of you are afraid to answer that question because you're afraid God is going to zap you. But you do understand God already knows the answer. Have you ever been disappointed with God? You look at the Bible, and you'll see great men and women of God who at times were disappointed with God. Abraham. 
Moses, David, Peter, Martha, all at one time expressed disappointment with what God was doing or what was going on in their lives. So, have you ever been disappointed with God? Maybe your life didn't turn out the way you thought it should. Maybe there's a tragedy in your life. Maybe there's a prayer that was not answered. Maybe you're in a situation that you were doing exactly what God wanted you to do. You were in the middle of God's will, and yet you still suffered. Now, understand, sometimes it's because of our bad choices that we suffer. Sometimes it's because of our sins that cause the problems. But what happens when you are doing exactly what God wants you to do, and you're suffering, and God disappoints you? In our text this morning, we find the prophet Jeremiah, and he's disappointed with God. Earlier in chapter 11 through chapter 12, Jeremiah is crying to God. He just found out the people of his hometown wanted to betray him. They were plotting against his life, and he's praying. He says, God, do something. They, they want to kill me, and God gives this great answer. He says, Jeremiah, you're right. They, they want to kill you, and it's going to get worse. That was his answer. In fact, Jeremiah, it's going to get a lot worse. And if you study the, Jer- the, uh, the book of Jeremiah, you see it. In chapter 11, his hometown wanted to kill him. In chapter 26, they put him on trial for his life. In chapter 36, he, he, was, uh, he wrote the book of Jeremiah. He wrote the first draft of this prophecy, and the king read it and burned it. Chapter 20, he was flogged and put in stocks in the middle of the city, and the people mocked him. In chapter 28, he was attacked by the false prophets. They called him out by name and made fun of his ministry. Chapter 37, he was arrested and accused of treason. In chapter 38, they took him out of his jail. They put him in an abandoned well that had no water, but the mud came up to his chest. And here's Jeremiah. I am your prophet. I'm doing exactly what you've told me to do. I've been faithful in preaching your word. God, where are you? Now, why were the people mad at Jeremiah? He was a prophet, and he gave them a message they didn't want to hear. And here's the message. If you do not repent, God is going to bring judgment upon you. God is going to use the pagan worshiping, idol worshiping Babylonians, and they're going to come and they're going to destroy us. They will destroy the country, they will destroy the city of Jerusalem, they will destroy the temple, and those whom they do not kill, they will take into captivity, into slavery. That was the message. And no one wanted to hear this message. Jeremiah is preaching this, and the people are looking at one another, wait, 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 we're God's people. He's not going to do this to us. We are God's nation. He's not going to do that to us. We're God's message to the world. He'll never do that to us. But they were wrong. God's holiness will always bring judgment. And if they do not repent, judgment is coming. They don't want to hear the message. Don't we see this today? 
People don't want to hear a message about their sins. They want to hear a message about other people's sins. Or they want to hear a message that makes them feel good so when they leave, they can feel good about themselves. That's what people are looking for today. But here's Jeremiah. He is saying a drought is coming, a famine is coming, an army is coming, an exile is coming if you don't repent. And when this passage was written, it was very bad. How bad was it? Well, look back at verse 1. Then the Lord said to me, even though Moses and Samuel were to stand before me, my heart would not be with this people. Send them away from my presence and let them go. You know how bad it was? God says, if Moses and Samuel themselves prayed, I would say no. Remember Exodus chapter 32, God wanted to destroy the people of Israel, and Moses prayed, and God relented. Or Samuel, in 1 Samuel chapter 7 and chapter 12, he prayed for Israel, and God listened to Samuel's prayer. But God is saying, it's too late now. Even if those true great prayer warriors prayed, I'm not going to change my mind. Remember what I said a few weeks ago? There's a date when it's too late. There's going to come a time it's too late to repent. There's going to come a time you, you cannot return, return to God. And that's what he's saying here. It's too late. How bad was it? Well, look at verse 2. And it shall be that when they say to you, where shall we go? Then you are to tell them, thus says the Lord, though destined for death to death, those destined for the sword to the sword, those destined to the famine to famine, and those destined for captivity to captivity. How bad was it? Jeremiah, if they ask you, well, where shall we go? You just tell them, for some of you, you're going to die by famine. For some of you, you're going to die by the sword. For some of you, you're going to be led in captivity. For some of you, you're just going to die. This is not a popular message. God is saying it's too late. The Babylonians are coming and you're going to either die or be uh, taken into captivity. Well, why is all this happening? Well, look at verse 4. He said, I will make them an object of horror among all the kingdoms of the earth because of Manasseh. Now, he was a king of the Old Testament. Manasseh did something. He, he made a treaty with the Assyrians. He betrayed God and said, I don't think God can protect us. I will make a treaty with Assyria. And part of the treaty is we'll bring their idols into Jerusalem and Judah and worship them. They literally brought the idols into the temple. And God said, because of that, that's what started all this. They turned their backs on God for economic prosperity and short-term peace. And he started the ball rolling, but the people never stopped, and they never returned to God. Listen, past leaders can get you into trouble, but you are accountable for what you do. Here's Jeremiah. He's preaching. It's hard. It's difficult. And the pressure's getting to him. So this morning in this text, I want to ask two questions. How did Jeremiah feel? And how does God respond? First, how did Jeremiah feel? Beginning in verse 10 through verse 14, some of the saddest words of the Bible. It is the saddest cry. How does he feel? Well, first of all, Jeremiah felt disillusioned. Look at verse 10. Woe to me, my mother, that you have borne me. As a man of strife and a man of contention to all the land, I have not lent nor have men sent lent me money to me, yet everyone curses me. You hear what he's saying? Why was I even born, God? I don't get it. What's the use? 
I look at my life, and it seems to me a bit better if I had not been born. God, is this what life is all about, that I'm going to suffer? I'm going to be in pain all of my life? God, I thought it would be different. I'm serving you. I mean, he tells us why he's disillusioned. He says in verse 10, as a man of strife and a man of contention to all the land, I've not lent or have money lent money to me, yet everyone curses me. He's a God. No one likes me. No one. No one out there cares for me. I'm alone. I'm serving you by your side, and yet I'm all alone here. Jeremiah says, I, I get friendships can be lost because of money. But it has nothing to do with money. It all has to do with my message. He's disillusioned. Not only is he disillusioned, look at verse 15. Jeremiah felt fear. You who know, O Lord, remember me, take notice of me, and take vengeance for me on my persecutors. Do not in view of your patience take me away. Know that for your sake I endure reproach. Jeremiah says, for, you, for your sake I, I deal this reproach from these persecutors. Did you notice what he says, though? Do not in view of your patience take me away. <laughs> Do you know what he's saying? Jeremiah is saying to God, God, I know you're a patient God. You're patient with these people, but these people are persecuting me. They're hurting me. Do not let your patience go overboard, and they actually end up killing me. That's what he's saying. Jeremiah is afraid for his life. God, I know you're patient, but don't be so patient that it ends up losing my life. I want you to notice something. In public, Jeremiah is very bold, isn't he? But privately to God, he reveals his feelings and his fears. There are times when all of us are going to be afraid. And the Bible tells us over and over not to fear. But in do so, and it's not saying don't experience fear because we are going to experience fear. What the Bible means is don't let fear control your life. Don't let fear stop you from doing what you need to do. Nelson Mandela said, I learned that courage was not the absence of fear, but the triumph over it. The brave man is not he who does not fear afraid, but he who conquers that fear. Jeremiah is afraid, but he's not letting it stop his message right now. He's very candid about his fears to God, but he's not allowing his fears to hinder his public ministry. This is not hypocrisy, by the way. Please understand, he is fulfilling what God told him to do, but privately to God, he's saying, I am hurting, I am scared. He was afraid, but he did not run away. He was afraid, but he did not run away from the work God has called him to do. Some of you may go through a, a time of fear in your life. The question is not, is there fear in your life? The question is, is it stopping you from doing what God wants you to do? Look at verse 17. Jeremiah felt aloneness. He said, I did not sit in the circles of merrymakers, nor did I exult. Because of your hand upon me, I sat alone, and you filled me with indignation. Jeremiah did not only take his fear to God, he took his loneliness to God. Jeremiah is saying, because of you, God, I didn't sit in the circles of the merrymakers. I, I, I didn't get it with the sinners. I didn't exalt or rejoice by joining their parties and joining their festivities. I, I'm an outsider. Verse 17, he said, because you're your hand upon me, because I've been called by you, I sat alone. 
because I'm committed to God's truth, I'm alone. God, I have no one to talk to. I have no one to share my heart with. I have no one to share my pain with. Do you realize that loneliness is one of the biggest problems in our world today? Especially those in the public eye. You look at celebrities whose life ended early. You look at their lives and see what they wrote, and they always write about loneliness. Elvis Presley, right before he died, scribbled some notes on a notepad about how lonely he was. People like in the past, Howard Hughes or Mar- Marilyn Monroe or Whitney Houston, Princess Di, all talk about loneliness in their diaries. Dr. George Clooney, a few years ago, said, that he suffered from loneliness and insomnia. He said, the public spotlight makes you feel more lonely. The Harvest Business Review said that half of the CEOs in the United States have loneliness in their job, and it's affecting how they perform. And loneliness is the number one reason people burn out as leaders. You see, it's hard to do work if you feel alone. I mean, at the end of the day, you want someone to talk to. You want someone to share with. You want to tell someone what happened. You want someone to say, you did a good job. You want someone to say, hey, it's going to be okay. You want someone to say, it's going to be all right. You want someone to say, you're important. And when you don't have that, what happens? You go down a dark hole. And Jeremiah had no one. And worse, it's double only. Because what he's saying is, my preaching has isolated me from the people, but God... My feelings toward you is isolating me. He also felt pain. Look at verse 18. Why has my pain been perpetual and my wounds incurable, refusing to be healed? God, I'm hurting. It's not getting better. Now, some of his pain is physical. Please understand. Some of it is physical, but there's emotional pain here because Jeremiah really cares for the people. He is preaching to them to return to God, and they're not returning to God, and he hurts for them. That pain won't go away. God, I am hurting. This pain won't go away. I remember many years ago in another state, there was, there was someone, they were going down a path of destruction, made, made a lot of bad choices. And I talked to them, and it, nothing I said could change what they were doing. And my pain was great for them. I hurt for them. That's what Jeremiah is saying. I am hurting for my nation. And then he says, verse 18, Will you indeed be to me like a deceptive stream with water that is unreliable? God, I'm hurting. Are you like a deceptive stream? Now, in Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 13, he calls God the foundation of the living waters. And now he says, you're just an empty stream. In Palestine, you had these gorges that when in the rainy season, it was filled with water. But in the summertime, it was dry. If you knew where these places were, you would go there to get water, and you would get there, and there'd be no water. It was a deceptive stream. That's what Jeremiah is saying to God. God, you're a mirage. I thought I could come for you, but you're not there. You're not satisfying. You're not what you appear to be, God. You're not helping my pain. So how does God respond to this? Up to this point, 
God has just listened to Jeremiah. But in verse 18, Jeremiah is now attacking his character. He goes too far. I mean, Jeremiah is basically saying to God, God, you're not a good God. There was a time early in his ministry, he thought God was a fountain of living waters, and now he's saying, you're a liar. Now, please understand something. We are to take our emotions to God. We are to take our feelings of despair and discouragement to God. God wants us to do that. We are to take our fears, and we, we can even ask God questions. We, we see that in the Psalms. You know, the psalmist would say, no, talk about God. I don't understand my pain. And then at the end of the psalm, but I know you're still God. God wants us to bring things to him. But there comes a point when we start attacking the character of God that we go too far. And that's where Jeremiah is about to go. So what does God do? He gives him twofold reply that really applies to all of us when we're disappointed with God. He says, first of all, you must return. Verse 19, therefore, thus says the Lord, if you return, then I will restore you. Before me, you will stand. Here's the irony. What was Jeremiah's message? He told the people, return to God, repent to God. And now God is saying to Jeremiah, Jeremiah, you need to do the same thing. We demand other people to repent, but sometimes we don't repent ourselves. Jeremiah accused the others of of walking away from God, and now Jeremiah was beginning to walk away. Jeremiah is on the brink of renouncing his calling. That's what he's saying in that verse. Listen, we should bring our pains to God, but we cannot run from God. Look what God says. He says, before me you will stand. Now, that word in in the Hebrew language means a king or a priest or a prophet. In other words, Jeremiah is on the verge of saying, I quit. That's when God says, okay, you can't go there. You can't go there. Jeremiah, as long as you are consumed with this fear and this loneliness and pain, you're going to lose your power. You cannot quit this race. You need to return to me and stand before me. And if you do that, you will be renewed. You see, what God is saying to Jeremiah is very simple. You got to change your thinking. How we think determines how we act. Your doctrine determines your behavior. And God is saying, you've got to start thinking right, Jeremiah. You need to return back to me. And then he says, if you return to me, secondly, I will restore. That's what he says in 19. If you return, then I will restore you. Look at verse 20. Then I will make you to this people a fortified wall of bronze, and though they fight against you, they will not prevail against you. For I am with you to save you. And deliver you, declares the Lord. So I will deliver you from the hands of the wicked, and I will redeem you from the grasp of the wicked. He says to Jeremiah, Jeremiah, you need to return. You return, I will restore you. By the way, in verse 18 and 19, I mean, in the last part of this, this, this chapter, those are the same words in Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 18 and 19. God is saying the same thing in his calling. He says, I will make you strong. You see, much of Jeremiah's complaint was about the persecutors and how they mistreated him. But God is saying something amazing. He says, Jeremiah, you're going to survive. God doesn't tell Jeremiah it's going to get easier. It's going to get worse. But God says, if you return, I will restore you, and I will give you the strength to finish the task. I will give you the strength to continue what I told you to do. And as Jeremiah is praying, he changes. You see, that's what prayer is designed to do. 
Prayer is not really designed to change God's mind. Prayer is designed for us to be changed. And Jeremiah is praying he's changed. And Jeremiah, who's on the verge of quitting, returned to the race. Some of you may have heard or may remember Rosie Ruiz. 1980, the Boston Marathon, she cheated. She didn't run the race. She, she took a shortcut, and, and she won. She was discovered. She never admitted in public that she cheated, although the evidence was overwhelming. She did tell some friends that she did cheat and t- even told how they did it. But here's a woman who, who wanted to be on the podium. She wanted to receive her reward, but she didn't want to run the race. There are some people like that in Christian circles. They want the rewards. They want the honors. They just don't want to run the race. And it's a hard race at times. And sometimes it's painful. And sometimes there's fear and sometimes you're alone. But God says, during those times, return to me and I will restore you. One of my heroes of the faith, you've heard me talk about him before, is Adoramah Judson. He was called in the mission field in the 1800s. In July of 1813, he and his wife Anne went to Burma. William Carey, the father of modern missions, told him not to go. It was very dangerous. In fact, all the missionaries had either died or left, but Judson went there. When they got there, they had this language barrier. It took them working 12 hours a day for three years to learn the language. Then when they learned the language, they started communicating to the people, and no one listened. And so after 12 years of work, only 18 people gave their life to Christ. Then it got worse. They thought Judson was a spy, and they arrested him. They tortured him. One of the tortures, they, he, they, they hung him by his feet, and only his shoulders and head was on the ground. For over a year, they tortured him. His wife, Anne, was pregnant. She walked two miles to the palace to ask, let my husband go. He's not a, he's not a spy. And they wouldn't do it, but they said, you can go see him. And so she went to see him in the courtyard, and the conditions were so bad, it sickened her. Adoratum didn't know how much he could take. Their daughter, Maria, was born... But Anne was so sick, she didn't know she could take care of her daughter. And then on November 4, 1825, he was released because they needed a translator to talk to the British government. He had spent 17 months in prison. He also went on a death march to another prison. He almost died many times. He was never in despair. And then, 11 months after he was released, his wife died. And six months after that, his daughter died. In prison, he didn't despair. But now, darkness settled over his soul. Three months after the death of his daughter, he got word that his father had died. Eight months earlier, he just got word. That sent him over the edge. He had doubt, loneliness. He doubted his calling. 
He stopped working on the translation of the Old Testament. He retreated from all people. He got rid of all his letters of commendation. He destroyed and burned all of his diplomas. He went out into the jungle, literally built a hut on the second anniversary of his wife's death to live in total isolation. He dug a grave by his hut. He sat beside it all day long waiting to die. He wrote these words. He said, God is to me the great unknown. I believe in him, but I find him not. Within a year, he received word that his brother died at the age of 35. And ironically, that was the turning point of his recovery. Because when he left his brother, his brother was not a Christian. And now he heard that his brother has died, but he's a Christian. He realized, I will see my brother again. And then he began to realize, well, wait a minute, this work that I'm doing is making a difference eternally. This work I'm doing is worth the suffering. This work I'm doing is worth all the pain. And so he returned to his work. He returned translating the Bible into that language. And when his work had completed, over 100 churches had been planted. Over 8,000 Burmese professed faith in Christ. Yes, he continued to suffer more, but he never let the disappointment again. He remained faithful. So today, are you disappointed in God? And God will tell you what he told Jeremiah. Return to him. Let him restore you. You may be here as a, as a believer. Maybe something happened 50 years ago, 25 years ago. Maybe something happened last night. And you're disappointed. God says, return to me. Let me restore you. Or you may be here today and you're disappointed in God, but you've never given your life to Christ. Maybe you're mad at God for something. And because of that, you cannot give your life to him. I encourage you, I beg you. To give your life to Christ. Those of you who are online, if you would like to give your life to Christ, if you want to return to Him, really coming to Him for the first time, it needs to be repentance. Admitting you're a sinner, believing that Jesus Christ died for you, and coming to Him in faith. Would you do that? If you text us the word today at 270-398-5005, and a minister will give you a call today. For those who are here, will you respond? You want to give your life to Christ as we begin singing. If we're standing in the front, just come and talk to me or one of the ministers. Or maybe you need to join our church. Maybe God is calling you to the mission field or calling you to ministry. Or maybe God is calling you to do something else, privately or publicly. I don't know, but I know this. Whatever God is saying to you, you need to respond. Just like Jeremiah as he returned to God. Would you stand by your heads? Heavenly Father, I thank you so much that you give us the, the freedom to come before you and tell you about our fears and our doubts. That, Father, we can be so honest with you, and you, you know our hearts, you know our thoughts. Because there are days, Father, that we are tired. There are days we are afraid. There are days, Father, we want to give up. Father, there are days we are disappointed. But, Father, help us that we'll never question your goodness or your greatness. Never question your character, God. So thank you for this privilege to come before you with openness. And so, Father, today, if there's anyone who's never given their life to you in a personal way through Christ, let them come today. 
No more excuses. Let them come. Father, for that believer who's struggling with disappointment, maybe something happened in their life that they just can't get over, let them return to you, Father. Trusting in your hand and trusting your grace and trusting your love. Speak to us now, Father. In Jesus' name, amen.